Uh, well, grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, we come to a, a very solemn time in our church here tonight, don't we? For this is the night that we remember our Lord's Last Supper with his disciples. In fact, immediately following our Lord's Supper, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, doesn't he? We understand that, that he prayed, and as he prayed, there, there were as if great drops of blood coming from his brow. Now, perhaps we, we, we wonder, we, we speculate, well, was it just that the, the, he was sweating so profusely during, during the prayer that it, in the twilight it, it looked as if blood was dripping? Or, you know, if that actually was blood, if the perspiration was bleeding because of his intense effort. But nevertheless, we, we picture him there. In that twilight, uh, praying intently that, that God would somehow find a different way. See, even though our, our Lord and Savior knew he was coming into this world, he knew that, that he was to suffer and die, yet he, he was still a, a, a man, a person, as you and I are. And knowing his last hour was approaching, that intense prayer came from him. Lord, must I suffer in this way? Lord, must I die by crucifixion? Isn't there some other path that could be taken? We're, we're told he did this even three times. And then as he would rise from prayer, he would return to the disciples once again and find them sleeping. Our Lord facing his greatest battle within himself, our, our, our Lord struggling with the prospect of a death by crucifixion returns to his inner circle, the, these 12 men who have spent the last three years with him and her sleep. Three times he prays. And yet, dear friends, rising from prayer that third time, the resolve comes upon him that he will follow through, that he will carry forth God's will. He will do it for you and for me. For our sin. And we often don't think a lot about that sin, do we? We often kind of think to ourselves, oh, you know, God, God maybe just, you know, overlooks that. Or, you know, God, God is so mighty and powerful, he maybe doesn't mind so much about that thing. But the fact of the matter is, even the smallest sin separates us from God. And really, as evangelists go out and they begin to, you know, connect with people, they, they will ask 
the question. Have you ever told a lie? And, and well, you know, when we're honest with our, ourselves, you probably have to have to say, well, well, yeah. Even if it was only once, right? When I ask that, that question, I put it to you. Have you ever told a lie? Maybe amongst the, the members of our congregation, we have people that have so perfect, they only told one, but still... There was one, right? Now even my, my son Robert, the youngest in our congregation, right, when I asked the question, Robert, have you ever told a lie? He would have to say, that was that one time at least, right? Well, guess what? The Bible says if you told a lie, you are a liar. Even if you just did it once. And then the Bible says, of course, you know, the liar will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But do we think about that in great detail? Is it convicting to our conscience? Does it eat away at us during the night? And definitely for the unsaved person, it should. Their conscience should cry out. It should remind them. There was that time. You did the wrong thing. You made the wrong choice. There was that time you had the wrong thoughts. There was that time when you yourself committed sin. And instead of just saying, oh, well. Instead of just saying, oh, you know, it, it happens. Instead of, you know, just kind of sweeping it under the rug. It should hit us, shouldn't it? It should strike at our own hearts. I have sinned. I have fallen short. I can't get into heaven now because I did this thing, whether great or small, it doesn't matter to God. He has spoken. You must be perfect. And then you and I, we, we look in the mirror and we say, hey, there was that time I wasn't perfect. There was that time I committed a sin. There was that time I went against God's word. I did things differently than he wanted me to. I, I, I was shaken. I, I was fearful. I didn't quite meet the standard. And even though it be that one time, what can we do? And the answer, of, of course, as you, you know, you've been you know, coming here faithfully for the, the time that I've been here and faithfully the times before that. The answer, of course, is Jesus Christ died so that sin could be forgiven. 
Jesus, our Savior, hung upon the cross so that could be washed clean again. But you know what? And maybe something that, that, that's not commonly taught. Every time we sin, we crucify the Savior anew. You see, maybe that statement isn't getting through any longer to most of our world. Because we see people just kind of coming in the church and, and they say, oh, oh yeah, I'm a sinner too. And oh, that's great that I'm forgiven. And then they go right back out the door and they, they lie some more. Or they commit adultery some more. Or they do homosexual acts some more. Or they think about murdering their neighbors some more, you see. But dear friends, even when we go out the door and we just tell another little lie, we have crucified Jesus all over again. And that should strike at our conscience. That should become our incentive to do it better. That should really be the reason that we would repent and that is the Christian life, isn't it? That I repent of my sin. That I come back to this church so that I can sit within the congregation once more. I can pronounce that I am a poor, miserable sinner. I can confess that I have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. And I can hear the blessed absolution. Jesus forgives you. Jesus died upon that cross, knowing, understanding that we would fail at times. That we would need his forgiveness. That there was a way for us to come back again. And that he loved each of us so very much. He paid the price. His suffering. His death upon the cross. He reminds us of that again this night through the giving of his body and his blood in holy communion. You see, dear friends, this is one of the most blessed of sacraments that he has given, isn't it? If we think about our Old Testament text for tonight, it directly connects us back to the ancient Israelites in Egypt. Now, in your mind, you know, you can travel back through time to that particular spot. The nation of Israel invited into Egypt because of the, the work of Joseph in his time serving the Pharaoh, welcomed with open arms, given a, a beautiful, fertile land in a time of famine and drought. But then, then, of course, you know, time goes by, doesn't it? 
And the Bible tells us there was a Pharaoh who arose who knew not Joseph. He didn't care about the history. He didn't bother to, to study what had happened in the past. He, he didn't know who Joseph was. And he said, look, there, there's a, this vast people here. Wouldn't they make great slaves? And so he enslaved the nation of Israel. He, he, he made them to, to be his workers, to, to put up his huge monuments to, to serve him. And it was a long time. It wasn't just three or four years, you know. The nation of Israel was enslaved for hundreds of years. And finally, looking upon the plight of his people and the terrible conditions that they had to endure, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to bring my people forth. And Moses, with many great miracles, appeared before Pharaoh. But, you know, each time Pharaoh seemingly was convinced he would change his mind back again. And, well, you, you can imagine if your economy runs on slavery, if the, the great workforce to, to build your cities, you know, thrives on slavery and you let all the slaves go, what are you going to do? And so he has political pressure. And he has people telling him, you know, it's just common sense that you keep the slaves. Right? And so time and time again, Pharaoh is almost convinced, but then he changes his mind back and he says, no, I'm not going to let him go. Until God finally in his wrath laid out the last plague. And that last plague, as we've come to know it, was the death of the firstborn in every family. And then God spoke to the nation of Israel and he said, you know, I want you to institute this supper as a memorial. I want you to, to choose a, a sheep or a goat. Right, that's a year old. I want you to take that animal into your house. That animal is going to be there for a, you know about two weeks or fifteen days, and then you're going to slaughter that animal. You're going to eat the meal according to the the special design I have given you. You're going to put the blood of the animal on your doorpost, so the angel of death will pass by. So your your firstborn will be spared. Uh, some ancient commentators actually go so far as to say that, you know, th this plague would kill the flower of the nation. And so we, we can imagine that maybe it was even worse than simply the death of the firstborn. You know, maybe it was, you know, all of the, the people from, you know, 15 to, to 30 were wiped out. It could have been even worse than just, you know, the, the one member of your family died during that time. But, you know, that there were even more terrible consequences. And it came to be. 
And the people were freed from their bondage in, in Egypt. Moses led them forth. Of course, again, Pharaoh, you know, succumbing to the political pressure of his time, you know, having people whispering in his ear, come on, it's only common sense that you get those people back. Of course, he pursued in, in his chariots. At that time in, in history, Egypt was the, the largest, you know, military place in the world. They're like us today, right? Pharaoh leading out his massive army to overtake the escaping slaves drowned in the midst of the sea. His entire army wiped out. We're, we're told after that the, the Hyksos Whoever the, the Hyksos people were, they, they saw the plight of Egypt, that their army had been destroyed. They invaded. They took over the land. Pharaoh lost everything. The judgment of God came upon those people. They were delivered. And now our Lord and Savior, he gathers together his disciples on this special memorial evening. This evening when the Jewish people come together to remember their deliverance. And he takes the, the bread, the unleavened bread, the bread that the people were required to eat with their meal, a bread with you know, no taste. He takes the bread. And he breaks it and he gives it to the disciples and, and he changes the meal. This bread is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he takes the cup after the supper. He gives it to the disciples saying, take and drink. This is my blood, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, our Lord and Savior, he was present, yes, from the very beginning of time. The Apostle John tells us it was through Jesus all things were made. And so Jesus is there in that memorial meal way back in Egypt. And Jesus here on earth, present with his disciples now, he says this is the fulfillment. Now, this is what that meant back there. Your salvation is coming. Your salvation is coming through me. The bread is my body. The wine is my blood. Take and eat and drink and be free. Ah, that maybe sends a, a, a little chill down our neck, doesn't it? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave up his life, his body and his blood, so we could be 
free. Several times in the scriptures, the, the apostles point back to that and they say, well, why, why do you remain in bondage? Uh, why do you get up from taking the body and blood of the Lord and then go get trapped in your sin again? The body and blood of Jesus Christ frees us to lead a godly life. It gives us the freedom to abstain from sin. It gives us the power to overcome the lies that maybe we used to like to tell. It gives us the power to overcome the, the, the terrible images that, that perhaps we, we like to dwell upon within our own minds. It gives us the freedom to be able to go out into our world once more and do what's right. Again, the world has it all backwards, don't they? They somehow think that the word freedom means that they can go out of the church and do whatever sin they want to do. But that's not freedom at all, is it? To be trapped in slavery to sin or to be free in Jesus Christ, our Savior. The second one is where we want to be, isn't it? And so, dear friends, again on this particular night, the night of the Last Supper, we come together once more to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. To remember that he transcends time. To understand once more that he appropriated that Passover meal to become his special supper that he would share with all who believe in him. To partake of the body and blood of our Lord. The sacrifice that brought us freedom. The sacrifice that reminds us of the great love that Jesus has for each one of us. The sacrifice that speaks softly in our ear once more. Your sin is forgiven. The debt is paid. The doorway to heaven is open for you. Come into the joy of your master. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in your hearts and minds now and always. Amen.